Hi, welcome to Over Beers, a craft beer conversation podcast. I'm Freddie Clark. Today we have an interview with Jason Goldstein of Icarus Brewing. During our conversation, we talk a little bit about Belgian beers. Now, while the Belgians don't typically define their beers within styles, some styles have become recognized outside of their borders. Trappist breweries in Belgium are defined as producing beers within the walls of a monastery. The monastic community determines the policies and provides the means of production, and the profits are primarily for the community or social services. There are only seven Trappist breweries, six are in Belgium, and one is in the Netherlands. Common characteristics are that they are top-fermented beers, which are unpasteurized, with no chemical additives, sugar is added to the wort in a kettle, and they are bottle-conditioned. Today's Trappist beers go back to the early 1930s. The style double or double and triple are popular, but each brewery produces their own lineup of beers and it can vary. Each brewery creates a low alcohol beer for consumption by the monks called Refter's beer or Ankel, which means single. The terms Ankel, double and triple loosely refer to the amount of malt with fermentable sugars. That sugar or candy sugar can also provide much of the color of the beer and provides aromatic hints of burnt sugar or raisins. The Belgian yeast used will give them distinctive herbal fruit or phenol notes. In early October, I visited Icarus Brewing in Lakewood, New Jersey and sat down with Jason Goldstein. He's the head brewer and founder. Before we start the interview, a quick summary of the story of Icarus. Icarus and his father were imprisoned by King Minos of Crete within the walls of the labyrinth that his father created. But being a great craftsman, his father would not suffer captivity. He made two pairs of wings by adhering feathers to a wooden frame with wax. Giving one pair to his son, he cautioned him that flying too near the sun would cause the wax to melt. But Icarus became ecstatic with the ability to fly and forgot his father's warning and flew too close to the sun. The wax melted, the feathers came loose, and Icarus plunged to his death in the sea. First thing I'm going to ask you, the name. Why Icarus? Uh, so Icarus works for us for a lot of reasons. When I was first coming up with brewery names, you know, we had to apply a sheet of 500 names. Cut that down real short based off of a lot of them were taken, but one was at the top of my list, and it happened to be Icarus. So. The name works for us for a lot of great reasons. Number one, the, I like the fact that Icarus and the story of Icarus, you know, it's a tragic tale. A lot of people look at me and say, you know, you're opening a brewery based off someone who failed. But right, not a success story. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like to look in the other direction, looking more optimistically. He tried. Okay. Him and his father, Daedalus, were left, left there to die. They were left trapped on the island on the labyrinth um, with no way out because everyone else there had died. Rather than do that, they did something different, did something special. I like to look at it as, unlike Icarus though, I like to do everything with balance. Mm-hmm. He got very cocky, just went a little bit too far. I try to look at all, all my beer styles, try to look at everything I do. Even my habanero, pineapple, pale ale, uh, pineapple Hindenburg, it's spicy, but it's not overbearingly spicy. Everything with balance. Okay. So it works with us on beer style, works with us on location. On one side of Lakewood, you have Lake Hurst with, with its own tragic flight with Hindenburg crash. Mm-hmm. On the other side, you have the ocean, what Icarus fell into. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I did notice that on your on your wall over here in, in the tap room, you've got the maps, the two maps and the, the strings, and I'm guessing that's all the places that you're carried, right? Yeah. Okay. And then I did notice that you have one pin in the middle of the water, it looks like between LBI and the mainland, that says Icarus flew too close to the sun and yeah. landed here. Yep. Yep. So, okay. So what, why, so we were talking earlier, you're a, you're a New York City native, as am I. I grew up on Staten Island. You said you were from Queens. Why Lakewood? Why this part of Jersey? A lot works for it. I, mean, I, I fell in love with this area in general, fell in love with the shore. Uh, I lived in Tom's River now for the last four or five years. I like Lakewood because number one, we have the blue claws right here. That works with us. We tie in very well with them. We have the parkway entrance and exit right here, which means we're accessible to the entire state. Uh, the parkway is like the heartblood of the entire entire Jersey Shore, and we're centered on it. Uh, works with us because it's an industrial park. Parking is great. Everything about getting here is great. And we're really close to a lot of great towns. We're really close to Brick, Point Pleasant, Tom's River, Howell. Farmingdale, Freehold, everything is right here and we're centered on it based mm -hmm. on the industrial park being the hub for those towns. Okay. And I see all those towns mentioned, so you've got a pretty good distribution going already in the ocean and I'm guessing what, Lower Monmouth? Uh, yeah. Right now we, uh, we just started expanding a little bit further into Monmouth. We just started into Long Branch and Red Bank. But otherwise, for the longest time, our radius was from Asbury down to Manahawkin. Okay. So really saying extremely tight in Ocean and Monmouth County. Mm -hmm. Okay. Know you got the growlers, the kegs going. Um, are you canning at all or bottling? We actually just started canning for the first time about a month ago. We started on our six-month anniversary with the Ella Ella cans. Then we did the yacht juice cans. And we actually have another uh, canning release coming up. We're doing uh, another Northeast IPA. It's called uh, We Want the Gold. Based on like that viral video from how about like ten years ago, okay. uh, Leprechaun in Mobile, Alabama. So <laughs> that's a Northeast IPA double dry hop with Eldorado and Galaxy. Okay. So that's finishing up in the fermenters right now. Uh, about transfer to the bright carbonate. Next week cans. Next week can. Okay. Right now, you and I are drinking your Oktoberfest, which yeah. is is delicious. It's like you said earlier. It's not overpowering in any way. It's very very balanced. Um, so tell me about tell me about the Oktoberfest. So uh, we decided to name this beer Mr. Oktoberfest. Figure playoff baseball is about to happen. Mm -hmm. um, Are you a Reggie fan? I am personally a Mets fan. Okay. So <laughs> I won't hold that against so, you. So obviously I'm not used to this whole Mr. <laughs> October thing. You've had a rough enough year. Exactly. I can't make it. <laughs> yeah. But you know, obviously Plenty of Yankee fans around here um, who will be seeing the playoff pretty soon. So if we go Mr. October based off that. Um, so it's just a simple uh, light Marzen. If you're going with the true style, a lot of our beers, we tend to always go a little bit weird, take a standard style and stretch it. Uh, a lot of my Saisons are dry hopped. My Belgian triple is dry hopped. My second most popular pale ale has pineapples and habaneros in it. Whereas this is to me a, a true Mars and a true mm -hmm. Oktoberfest. Right. What brought you to beer? So I've been doing this since I was 18. Okay. Um, I was in college, went to Ohio State. Uh, as part of the program I was in, food science, I'd take an internship every single semester. I was lucky enough that through the university, I got contacts at a brewery in town, uh, ended up getting an internship there. I like to say internship in all ways, I was really just 
putting bottles on and off a bottling line. Mm-hmm. Literally the worst job in any brewery. I'm sorry if any of you were in packaging. <laughs> um, but that was my job. I, I threw enough bottles on the bottling line that they gave me a chance to sweep the floors, swept enough floors that they gave, that they gave me a chance to hose out the mash ton and eventually I got to watch them brew. Right. Uh, and from then on, you know, I worked plenty of other internships, plenty of other jobs at non-brewing things, and I always found a way to jump back. Okay. Ended up specializing my degree in fermentation. Uh, after that, I ended up taking all the other side jobs and putting those aside and went to England, studied out there, went to Brew Lab in Northern England, which is middle of nowhere, England on the Scottish border outside Newcastle. Uh, worked out there, apprenticed out there, started there because I knew this is all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. What What did that give you? Because, you know, a lot of people don't make that jump, don't make that investment in that education, especially going out there. What do you think working there, studying there, living there brings to your beer? So the big thing for me is it taught me a completely different brewing style than you see in the U.S., so while I definitely still brew in a more American style, it taught me things that I could work at 100 breweries in the U.S. that I might never see. So just nice things to keep in my wheelhouse, as well as uh, the program I was at, Brew Lab. It was half brewing, half laboratory. So we were the yeast lab for pretty much all of the U.K., as well as we were doing off-labor testing, doing all sorts of lab testing for what went wrong in countless breweries. Mm-hmm. So a big part of my food science background as well as brew lab is figuring out what went wrong. Because no matter what, no matter how great of a brewer you are, I don't care if you're you know, brewing your batch 800,002 of the week up at Anheuser-Busch in Newark, something will still go wrong eventually. And that's where the expertise comes in of figuring out what went wrong, how do you fix it? How do you make sure it doesn't happen again? Because other times, otherwise, you know, breweries can be great forever. And then all of a sudden they get tripped up. Some bacteria ends up in a fermenter that their cleaning regimen won't get to, or they find out they scaled something up, their oxygenation wasn't up to par anymore. And my job would have been to find out what changed. Okay. So you were, you were the troubleshooter. Yeah. That's what you learned there. All right, that's great. So you do that, you come back over here, come back to the U.S., um, right into a brewery, or what was that? what was the next step? Uh, so once I came back, I took a job at Rendoon in Tom's River. Mm-hmm. Um, worked there, helped them get set up. Um, after a little while, I decided to leave that and left for a distillery. I moved on to a Van Brunt Still House in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Worked there. Um, I've always loved whiskeys, rums, everything they do. Uh, they make a phenomenal product. I just like brewing a lot more. Mm-hmm. As much as I was a brewer there, uh, a brewer at a distillery, you know, they are working with a, you know, with a jackhammer, whereas at a brewery you're working with a chisel. Okay. So I feel like it's more of a fine art on the brewing end here, whereas the fine art on the distilling end was on the distillers and barrel aging end. Okay. So while I learned a lot off that job that taught me barrel aging, which is why I work with a lot of barrels now, but I'd much rather make beer any day. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually working as a fermenter in a distillery. Surprises me that there is actually a need, mm-hmm. and I would have I never considered that there would be a need for a fermenter in, in a distillery. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, when you're making a whiskey, you're starting with a beer. A lot of times, you're leaving True. the grain in. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're making a brewer's mash. You don't ever have to boil it because it doesn't have to be sterile. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
but you're still making a brewer's mash. Yeah. I mean, then again, even when I was in college, I was still making, I was more or less a brewer making cheese, a brewer making sauerkraut, a brewer making yogurt. It's all fermentation. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. So in college, were you were you home brewing as well through that period, or? I ended up building my own homebrew system out of a need in college because I knew that coming from the bottom up, you know, being the guy working on the bottom line and sweeping floors at a brewery, I wouldn't really get a chance to develop my own recipes, and that's what I ultimately wanted to do. So that's where building the homebrew system came in. So I started that after I was already working at the brewery. Okay. Uh, so based off that, I ended up building my own homebrew system, you know, all electric, 20-gallon system, modeled after the brewery I was working at, because in my mind, that was what you needed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, ever since, like, we have a homebrew, meet, homebrew club meeting here tonight, uh, I've learned that you don't need to go through all that for homebrew, but at the same time, it taught me, it, it made it a lot easier for scaling down or scaling up batches based off everything physically being the same okay. just with the volume being the difference okay uh you mentioned the homebrew meeting here tonight uh, what is it was it a club is it a group that you a part you're a part of or you're the host or yes and no okay um so the ocean county homebrew club uh, i've been part of for a while uh they're meeting here tonight as well as a monmouth county homebrew club we set up a competition between the two clubs it's a porter competition okay uh, american porter style uh, each of the clubs already had their competitions uh, to pick the f- three finalists from Ocean County, three finalists from Monmouth County. The winners of those will bring their beer tonight. Uh, I'll be a judge of that. Uh, Tori from Backward Flag, as well as uh, someone from Jug Handle will be here mm-hmm. okay. uh, to judge it. And then the winner of the Porter competition gets to brew with me on this system, their batch. Okay. So I'll work with them on scaling it up, whether they're brewing on a five-gallon extract, whether they're brewing on a 30-gallon all-grain. No matter what their system, I'll work with them on scaling it up, and I'll give them their chance at brewing on a you know, full-scale system, nice. which is pretty much any homebrewer's dream. Yeah, absolutely. So looking at your, I'm just looking at the, the list of uh, what you're pouring right now here at the tab room. It's a very varied and expansive menu, which normally you don't see. There's a lot of different styles up there. So what's your methodology? What's your approach? You know, what, what are you trying to do with the beer here? I just like different beers in general. When I go out to a liquor store, when I go out to a bar, when I go out to a restaurant, it's rare that I'll order a double IPA, then another double IPA, then another double IPA. I'm gonna go out, I'll order that double IPA because it is one of my favorite styles. There's a reason Mm -hmm. why IPAs are so popular. Then I'll probably look and see, oh, is there anything Belgian up here? Mm -hmm. Anyone doing something funky? Uh, Then I'll look and see, oh, is there any English styles? Like I love a good red ale, a good porter, a good stout. Okay. Uh, so I, I based off that, off what I want to drink is what I then want to brew. Right. Okay. So I tend to brew beers that no one else is doing. I'm a big fan of looking around and seeing, oh, well, it looks like every, every brewery is doing nothing but, you know, IPAs right now. Every brewery is doing nothing but pale ales right now. Well, I don't know of anyone else doing, you know, a Belgian triple right now or a barley wine. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's good reason why they do. We're a brand new brewery. Maybe I'll find out that, well, there's a good reason that they don't. <laughs> but for me, uh, so far, everyone seems to really appreciate it. Uh, the fact that they can come in and see beers that they would have never had otherwise. Okay. And even ordering a flight, 
They'll order that flight. They'll get that double IPA they know they'll love. They'll get that pale ale they know they'll love. And they'll end up ordering, no, they'll order our Sunwalker smoked pilsner. No, it's a smoked pilsner. A lot of people have a smoked beer once in their life to have a Roush beer. They realize, wow, I never want to have this again. I just licked an ashtray. That was the smokiest <laughs> thing I've ever had. Like it tastes like a house fire. Right. But every once in a while, yeah, all that of a sudden, click with somebody. Yeah, like personally for me, like I do not, I don't like sours for the most part. Okay. However, I have friends that work at plenty of other breweries and they force them on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they constantly, every time a new uh, sour is bottled or keg, they'll get growlers to me and try this one, try this one, try this one. And I'm finding out more and more. It's not that I don't like sours. It's that I haven't had the right ones. Right. And I'm starting to like them more. And that's why I'm trying to offer that variety and getting to people, you know, hey, I know I have some beers that you will like. Maybe try this beer that's a little bit outside your comfort zone. Maybe you will hate it. But try it. But maybe you'll find out, wow, I love everything about this and I've only had bad examples of it. Well, that's interesting because one of the things that I want the podcast to do is to help introduce people to craft beer in general and even trying new things. Because it dawned on me one day, I was sitting around talking to friends and... You know, I was like, they knew I was into craft beer. And one of them said, you know, I don't like craft beer. I don't like IPAs. They're too hoppy for me. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But there's a whole lot more mm-hmm. than just IPAs. You know, and I, to, to me, this, this seems like your approach seems like a great place that if you're new to it or don't like IPAs, you can come and get other things to, uh, you know, to get you in the door, to get you started down the path or trying different things in craft. Definitely, and even even amongst that subcategory or that category itself of IPAs, I have at times American double IPAs that are, you know, 60 IBUs to 100 IBUs, have that real firm bitterness. Mm-hmm. The beers that would reaffirm to someone like that, oh, I really don't like IPAs because it is bitter. And then I do have beers like Yachus, like We Want the Gold, that... Northeast style IPAs, 20, 30 IBUs, right. um, hard to even call them IPAs at that point, but have the flavor and aroma that you would have gotten past that bitterness. Right. So all of a sudden people come in, wow, I have hated every bit of crap you've ever had, but I like a double IPA. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's a big part of getting people in the doors, getting people to try craft beer. A lot of people have only had one, you know, the first crap beer a lot of people ever had. Someone says, oh, try this Stone Ruination. Try this 100-plus IBU <laughs> West Coast IPA. Yep. And all of a sudden, you just can't do it. Right. You right. know, it's just pure bitterness. All right, so speaking of different beers, I did notice on your on your menu, you've got a Randall and not your mom's boxed wine. That, so was, t- their, uh, that was their Randall from this Sunday. Every day, the Randall is different. I run the Randall every Sunday, Thursday through Sunday. Uh, and I let whoever's working the taste room that day be as creative as they want. Okay. Uh, we have one taste room guy, Joe. Uh, he works Fridays. He likes to do things very Italian oriented. Um, I can't pronounce half the words he writes on the ta- on the board of what they are. Uh, one of the things is he's he eats on the the basil, the lemon. My favorite one is when he just threw the heat waver, which is our lightest saison, through cucumbers. Hmm, he's done okay. a lot more complicated than that. That was the simplest Randall I think we've ever had. But you have a Randall every day? Yeah. Okay, cool. And it allows us, again, we've done our stouts through cocoa, coffee, chipotle peppers, everything. Giving yourself like that 
know, the Mexican coffee flavor. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit of spice, a little bit of smoke, a little bit of roast. And you can take any beer, transform it, and it allows us to both offer the customer something, as well as it gives us an idea on next time we brew this, hey, maybe blueberries did work in the Saison, so maybe I will do a fruit Saison next time. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was terrible. And, well, what we learned. Not to do that again. Don't do that again. And all yeah. it really cost us was phone the Randall one time. Right. Well, which is nice about a Randall. It's 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 better than a pilot system because you can get really crazy and it's there's you know there's no there's no uh, penalty. Yeah. There's no downside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we learned uh, based off panic. Panic is our standard pale ale. That's been a constant evolution. We did something as simple as we threw Centennial hops in the Randall one time. Fresh mm-hmm. leaf Centennial hops. It tasted like the biggest resiny, danky, dank double IPA out of nowhere. Realized, oh, this isn't as much as we need for next time, but the next batch, Centennial was another dry hop on it. On it, okay. And it added a whole new aroma, a whole new flavor to it that we found out worked only because of the pilot Randall. You will play with your recipes and they are not a they're not a set in stone thing. You will tweak them as you go sometimes and, Definitely. and work them. Definitely. This is the fourth version of Panic so far. Uh, even Yacht Juice changed a little bit over time, which is it was our most popular beer from the get-go the second I brewed it. Mm-hmm. However, the first time I brewed it, I felt it was just a little bit too light-bodied for what it was. So the oats were increased in the next batch. Uh, whereas something like Panic, I realized the trend right now is people just want less bitter in general. Mm-hmm. So I took all the same, same hops I was doing on the pale ale and shifted the 60-minute to 45-minute, uh, 30-minute to 15-minute, shifted everything back a little bit. So it was the same amount of hops, but more of a aroma and flavor punch instead of the bittering punch. Right, okay. So it was really the same beer while being a whole new beer. Right. So if you liked it, you still liked it, but all of a sudden it opened up a whole new crowd to it. It became probably a little more approachable, a little yeah. lower IBU. Yep. And yep, nice. Okay, so what else are we drinking? We've got the first one you said is the Mmm Drop. Yeah, the Mmm Drop. Uh, that's named after uh, BC Boys Intergalactic because mm-hmm. Galaxy Hops in it. So that is a very smooth double IPA right there. Yeah, you get some of the Simcoe right up front. Yep. Uh, it gives you a little bit of pine, gives you a little bit of that almost like white grape flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all of a sudden the galaxy hit at the end. Mm-hmm. It tastes a little bit juicy while still being bitter. Uh, so definitely not northeast, definitely has a nice bittering punch to it. But I, hope, but I really think the bittering rounds out it almost, the flavor. It feels like a, it, not that this is really a thing usually, but it does feel like a double northeast. Yeah. Because it's it's got the northeast. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely feels like in your mouth the northeast. Yeah. But then you said, like you said, it's got that pop at the end. Yeah. I, I try to take the best attributes of a beer I've already brewed, mm-hmm. try and highlight those in the next beer, while still bringing in something completely new. Mm-hmm. So I can't call this a northeast in any way because it is way too bitter to be a northeast. Definitely doesn't have the haze because I brewed it like a standard American IPA. But I took some of the positive attributes of a northeast, the full-bodied. Uh, the big juicy hops on it, and added that as the attribute. Mm-hmm. No, that's very nice. All right, and then the next one you said was we have the real blonde. Yeah, so the real blonde. This is our. This was our first Belgian beer we had. Uh, best way to put it is, I went for something a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. I went for something that was full summer, something you can easily drink all day, while still having that Belgian character. Because to me, Belgian beer is scream summer. It to me lighter, a little bit fruitier from the yeast. And then I decided that 
a good way to bring more people into Belgians is pair them with something American, something American being dry hops. Mm -hmm. So I took hops that would really bring out the Belgian funk while not overriding it. Yeah. So I went with mosaic, it's almost like a pineapple flavor. Mm -hmm. So it's still very light, very refreshing. You still get a ton of that Belgian funk off of it uh, from all the different sugars. There's candy sugar in this, which when you have a Belgian yeast really brings out I don't want to call it a cider flavor, but it's that it, it's sort of a hint of the same flavor you'd get off a of cider, but in very minute amounts, which has complexity to a Belgian. Yeah. Belgian's one of those styles that I was never big on, but the last six months, something I've started to really get into. I always when I first got into when I first got into craft, I always assumed Belgian meant wheat but I am not a big wheat beer yeah. fan. And, but, you know, the more you go down the path, the more you learn, yeah. totally not the case. And it's, I'm loving them. Yeah, I mean, I think Belgian, I tend to think funky, mm -hmm. whether it be a double, a triple, a quad, or a blonde, which is really just a light Belgian strong ale. Mm -hmm. it, and it always has that hint of funk. That, it always well, tastes- it's a yeast. It's yeah, that, it's exactly. that yeast kick in it, yeah. The yeast just is never clean, mm -hmm. which works so well for it. Yeah, and this is very nice too. Well, I have a feeling that the, if we if we drank five more, I'd have the same opinion. Very yeah. good, very good. And yeah, this is I can definitely see this being a really good summer beer, and you could drink them all day. That's like it's light and refreshing. Mm -hmm. um, as much as I, again, as I said before, as much as I love double IPAs, there's a time for them. Right. If it's 95 degrees out, I'm in the sun, I'm not drinking a double IPA. It's just going to be pure dehydration. Right. Days I'd much over. rather something a little bit lighter, something a little bit smoother, something a little bit, you know, with a light sweetness to mm -hmm. it, which is where this comes into play. Uh, I, I feel like this to me is a perfect post-brew day drink this it's clean it's funky at the same time and it has its sweetness that just feels like you're refreshed yep whether you are or not it's all another thing but i guess feeling is most important yep absolutely so although the weather today we can't tell because it's like almost 90 degrees again today summer is wrapping up mm -hmm. you've got your oktoberfest where what's coming up for you as we head into the fall and winter months like what what brews are you what brews are you working on or so thinking about the next big release after the Oktoberfest we have uh, build me up butternut which was my beer with uh, Mike Kivowitz and NJCB okay that's our butternut chili squash porter so chili just adds a light mouthfeel to it the butternut definitely had a little bit of sweetness but still a true porter, a little bit uh, chocolatey, a little bit rich. Uh, so that'll be coming out in a few weeks. We're holding a big like Halloween, Friday 13th party for that. Okay. Friday 13th does hold some special meaning for us just because we opened on Friday the 13th. January 13th. Exactly. Right? Okay. So I figured there's a Friday 13th in October, make that our Halloween party. There you go, nice. Uh, so we have that coming up. We have our next can batch, which is uh, We Want the Gold. Uh, we also have a, a lot barrel aging right now. We have a rye barley one, which is a canned barley weight, which we have some fresh right now, but we have a lot more barrel aging, as well as a Kalishnikov, 
which they're a Russian Imperial Stout. Hmm. We have that aging in bourbon barrels, buckwheat whiskey barrels, as well as bourbon barrel-aged maple syrup barrels. When are you opening that? That's reaching its finish date. So we're going to be looking at bottling that relatively soon. Okay. Nice. And then I'll also be brewing a fresh batch because we had it on tap fresh and it was unbelievable. Hmm. Like I wish I had way more of it fresh. That was 14% alcohol and people were begging to leave with it. <laughs> I noticed um, you do do a good amount of collaboration. Yeah. What's the allure for that for you? What's the, what, why, why do you like doing it? My favorite thing about the craft beer community is everyone is friendly, everyone chats with each other. Uh, I've run the brewery now, but for the longest time I was always just a brewer. Mm-hmm. When you're just a brewer, you work with every other brewer. You know, you're constantly in the same circles, you're constantly calling your friends in another brewery. Hey, uh, I'm supposed to brew this batch today. I don't have the hops, or the yeast just didn't arrive. I can't push it back. If the boss finds out, I'm gone. Right. So you're constantly pulling favors, offering favors to every other brewery. So you just become really good friends with every other brewer. You know, our first collaboration was with Bolero. I've been friends with Bob and Scott forever. So I, I immediately knew I wanted to work on something with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been friends with uh, Mike from NJCB forever. Want to work on something with him. It allows a nice free trade of information. We always like, you know, trade light trade secrets. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, like when I dry hop, this is what I do. Huh, that's interesting. I would have never thought of that. Well, when I do this, this is what I do. Because in, in my mind, that makes the entire craft beer community that much better because you're not hurting your own business, you're helping craft beer. Right. If the first craft beer someone has is from Bolero, it's gonna be the best beer you've had. Therefore, people are gonna have them like, oh, well, I, maybe I do like craft beer. Right. Whereas if the first craft beer you have is, oh, wow, I hate this. Huh, well, back to Bud Miller Coors for me because I hate craft beer. Yeah. One, one, bad, one bad experience yeah. sends them right there. So I, I look at it as in craft beer, we're all on this together. Yep. So with collaborations, we're getting each other's name out there. We're working on, you know, making sure that the sum of our parts is better than what we put into it. Well, and, and rising tide lifts all boats. Exactly. Yep. Two years from now, where would you like to see the brewery? Everywhere. Everywhere? Yeah. New, um, everywhere in New Jersey or everywhere, everywhere? We self-distribute. I do everything uh, as organic growth, which is why we stay right now. We're in Ocean Monmouth County. Uh, we go town to town, make sure we're everywhere in that town before we go on anywhere else. I'd rather be a household name in Point Pleasant before we get to Asbury, which okay. is what we did. Now we're everywhere in Asbury, which is why we're going on to Long Branch. So I'm hoping over enough time we are a household name in enough towns that we can keep growing like that, uh, which means you know we keep adding more tanks. I keep brewing more often. I'm happiest when I'm brewing, so I'd much rather be brewing every day than doing the standard rigmarole of a brewery owner, brewery manager. Um, So I'm hoping I'm brewing every day and we're on tap everywhere. Thanks, Jason. Visit Icarus Brewing Company at 1790 Swarthmore Avenue in Lakewood, New Jersey. The tap room is open Thursday through Sunday and you can check out IcarusBrewing.com for their hours and more information. And thank you for listening. You can find out more about the podcast at the blog at overbeers.beer. Please leave a rating for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps. You can also leave a comment at the blog or send me an email. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas about the show. The email address is cheers at santephoto.com. You can also follow along on Instagram at santephoto, S-A-N-T-E-P-H-O-T-O. I'm Freddie Clark, and this has been Over Beers.